Father, we just thank you once again this morning, even as we now go to the ministry of the word. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Quieten us, O Lord. Enable us to be still in your presence. For your word says, be still and know that I am God. Father, come at this time into your hands. Speak your word into every one of our hearts. Transform us and change us and prepare us for your coming. To that end, I pray that you would anoint the speaking and the hearing of today's word. We worship you, we adore you, we reverence you. For you said in your word that you have exalted your word above all your name. And therefore, we reverence you in the sanctuary this morning. You and you alone deserve all the glory, even as we sang. The praises that we sing, the honor that is due. It is you, O Lord. And therefore, let all of us disappear, including me, Father, bringing with me, O Lord. And look, I pray, Father, that you speak to every one of us this morning. Thank you, Father. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory. For in Jesus' name, Amen. So, uh, we are to come back to a transparent pulpit. Okay, you can see uh, our ponches, we were hiding it behind the wooden one. Uh, now you can't hide anything, right? Um, so, uh, Sam and I, we said, okay, we're going to go on a rigorous r- schedule of getting our fitness in order. So, we've been jogging, exercising, doing intense <laughs> workouts. No, no, not at least the last one week for sure. Because we know, we knew that we had to come here. And the other thing I see all spaceships over here, right? I mean, literally a spaceship. I was thinking that I was in the International Space Station. Okay. It's a weird, very weird thing. I remember one uh, astronaut when he came from the International Space Station back to Earth. Um, he was in the spaceship, and if you know in the spaceship, there's no orientation, because there's no gravity. You can be in any orientation, and you don't feel anything. You're like floating in the air. Okay, so that's exactly what happened to six, for us in six months. We were in a spaceship called Church Office, and we were in different orientations. Okay, uh, only, I, actually, Sam, Peter, I, and, uh, and of course, Dr. Richard, we, uh, we had a, a, a Tremendous time, so it's going to take a while for us to get back our bearings because when people come back to the Earth, apparently these uh, the astronauts when they come back to the Earth, they have to they experience gravity after a long time. Okay, so the gravity of the pulpit and the height we have to get used to. So Sam and I and we're all thinking about it and as to how we get we'll get used to it. So praise God that um, we'll get used to fast. Okay, so this morning um, we've been learning about altars. Studying about altars. And uh, Pastor was preaching from Elijah. And uh, we've been looking at the order in which the altars have to be made. Altars which God accepts. Stones cut, uncut with human hands. Okay, Only which the Spirit of the Lord has worked upon. Only those are accepted. And if you look through the entire Bible, there's one pl- particular place, I mean, we, if you have been follow, watch, following us online, you know, one particular place in First Kings chapter 12 where 
Jeroboam, uh, he's the one who builds this altar. And the prophet who comes and he doesn't prophesy against Jeroboam, he prophesies against the altar. It's remarkable. You scan through the entire Bible, there's one place in that Bible where the prophet comes and he prophesies against the altar. And he says, oh altar, altar, this was, this is what happened to you. And, uh, studied about the prophet last time when I was sharing the word. Today I want to look at what, what made Jeroboam build that altar. See, the altar is just a physical thing. I mean, at least as, in as far as Jeroboam, Jeroboam is concerned. But something, a thought process that, that he succumbed to, if you will, that caused him to make this altar. And, and if you can please turn with me to First uh, uh, Kings chapter 12, and if you'll read from verse 25 to 33, very interesting verses. It says, Jeroboam built uh, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, and he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. He started off with a thought in his heart, a thought of insecurity, right? Then Jeroboam, uh, let's move on. Um, if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked advice. I mean, Bible doesn't say whose. <laughs> king asked counsel. Of whom? Of himself, I think. Because nobody is mentioned over here. Because he thought to himself and he asked counsel. But from himself, made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people, a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made, that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. And finally, so he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burnt incense. So you'll see this. And this is one altar which is made by human hands. We've been looking at altars cut by human, uncut by human hands. This is a complete engineered by a man. Totally. And that too, a man to whom God spoke promises. He's not a guy who's, who's a heathen. He's Jeroboam. He's the one to whom a prophet comes and speaks and says, this is what the Lord says about you. You see, and he made priests from different, different tribes. I mean, uh, Pastor preached about that several months, weeks, years back, if I'm right. I think it was last year when he talked about Jeroboam, how this is uh, about this particular incident. I'm not going to go into the details, but there's one thing that he does. He tries to ordain anybody from any tribe as a priest. It doesn't matter. So we have that kind of a situation even today. 
you have gay priests and transgender priests and all kinds of priests from different different backgrounds which are who are ordained all in the name of unity and tolerance now i'm not naming names uh, which are not been in the public forum okay i'm talking about people whose names have been established and been recorded in the public forum and people whom many of the people uh, in in Christendom res- respect like people like Max Lucado and all these people apparently there was i mean this is not apparently there was a uh, meeting of all this episcopalian meeting i mean all these churches from different different backgrounds who had come together on this common platform platform and uh, and one of the guys the big names he came to the dais and he said you people have to apologize to other denominations for speaking about justification from in, by faith alone apologize this is what is there recorded i'm talking about big names i mean it's shocking i was looking at that these are big big names who came onto the dais and who said we have to apologize to the other guys because you have been preaching from about justification by faith alone and that that man of god goes on to says say this guy he would have had the had the gumption to say if luther and uh, calvin were there please go and apologize to the pope all in the name of unity and tolerance and i'm talking about big i was shocked when i looked at those names some of those books i read And in the last six months, we've been taught, you know, very well, not to trust anybody. If only few voices were actually standing out in the in the midst of all kinds of uh, 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 assault that is happening against the church. Very few voices, because they've been trying to make an altar of of convenience and compromise. Why do you have to go so far to Jerusalem? Can worship here. I mean, it's just, a, it's just Jeroboam is just literally uh, echoing Pharaoh, right? Why do you have to go? Why can't you worship here? Why do you have to go take the men and 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 the women? I mean, children. You, only the men go and worship. Why do you have to take your stuff and go and worship? Keep your stuff here, and you go and worship and come back. See, all voices of the world to compromise the altar. And what is, what is God preparing us in these last days? A bunch of people who will take uncompromising stands and will not be afraid. You will be confronted with situations. It's interesting, you know, when you go to uh, stores now, they either check your forehead or they check your Wrist. Isn't it interesting? That's exactly what they do with the mark of the beast, either on their forehead or on your, and then you're allowed to even buy. I mean, that is only happening with a thermometer. <laughs> Later on, it'll be an RFID. Fast tags or what have you. It's happening right in front of it. These are all parables, okay? I mean, we're not, we're not supposed to take these things lightly, okay? I mean, you go to any Bundy. You don't have to transact with any, with cash anymore. I'm talking about guys who sell, uh, fruits on the, on military dairy farm road. 
Uh, what do you think? You have to transact with cash. No, no, no. They have phone pay. Hardly any cash transactions in the last six months I had done. Very, very few. I can count it on the fingers of my right hand or in the, I mean, maybe ten fingers. The number of cash transactions I've done in the last six months. With my landlord, no cash transactions at all. In the last five years. Not even one rupee we have exchanged. Think about that. It's happening right in front of our eyes. Okay. And we, we cannot compromise. I mean, it, it will come to us and I'm talking about how, how should, so what made, what was the mindset, if you will, of Jeroboam, which caused him to build an altar of compromise? What was, what was that pressure that he gave into and it is, it will happen to all of us if we are not careful. See, the one thing that you have to understand is this, Jeroboam was called of God. Ahia, Ahija, Ahia, Ahia, Yahweh, Ahia, Yahweh is my brother. <laughs> That's what it means. Ahi means brother, my brother, Yahweh, my brother is Yahweh. Ahia, the prophet comes to Jeroboam and he says, and he's, both of them are all by themselves. It's a picture of him having this personal encounter with God in, in, in through the prophet. And he has a new garment, he has a new garment and he, and he takes off the new garment and he shreds it into 12 pieces and he says, pick up, pick up 10. He's stunned. Jeroboam is stunned. He doesn't, he has no ideas what, as to what is going on and he says, God has given you these 10 tribes. Okay. Starts off with that. No, think about that. You're calling. All of us are calling. Do you think God called us because we were good and qualified? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Notwithstanding the fact that Jeroboam was a brilliant guy, he was a talented fellow. That's, a, that's, that's how he caught the attention of Solomon. Remember? He was one of the officials in Solomon's, uh, uh, kingdom. And Solomon caught us, I mean, he caught Solomon's eye. I mean, if you have caught Solomon's eye, that means, that means there's something in you. You know, notwithstanding the fact that he was talented or not talented, you see, you need to understand that the gospel is so, so clear. All flesh is as grass and the glory of it is what? The flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. And But the word of the Lord abides forever and this is the gospel which we have been preaching all these days. The glory, you know, in Telugu it is andam. Glory means beauty. And all of us, we run after beauty. I think Tim Keller was quoting somebody in one of his sermons. He says, a lot of people have this complex. They're too dumb for New York and too ugly for California. Or LA. What is New York? <laughs> Place where your achievements, financial success, rising up the corporate ladder, that is important. LA? Beauty. And a lot of people in the, in, in, in even in the, in, even in Christendom, they have this complex that too dumb for New York and too ugly for LA. Or in our, in our case, maybe too dumb for IIT and too ugly for Bollywood. I don't know. <laughs> Equivalent. Whatever you want to call it. And we are, we are having, and we want, we are craving for this beauty and for this attention in the world. And the fact of the matter is, all these fellows have failed us. Where are the wise men? Six months of COVID. Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hmm. What has happened to them? 
looking for glory. Looking for glory. But God is looking for character. We'll come to that in a while. So what is, what is Jeroboam? Jeroboam starts thinking, you know what he's, what he begins to do is instead of living his life based upon the promises of God, that is what we call as faith, he begins to live by sight. Public opinion. Public opinion. What will happen if these people just go away? Think about that statement for a while. Who did that before? Saul, right? Oh, I was afraid that these people will leave me. And therefore I offered a sacrifice. I mean, I find such a tremendous difference between David and all the other kings of Israel. All. I mean, that's the reason why the benchmark for the kings is no man like David. What about him? Ask him, do you want the kingdom? He says, no. Even when he's, somebody was trying to usurp the kingdom, he never even tried to defend himself. He just left the place. And both Abiyatar and Zadok ran after him and he said, we are also coming along with you with the Ark of the Covenant. He says, go back, go back. If the Lord wishes that I should come back, let me bring him back. Let him bring me back. But I am not going to occupy something for which I'm not ready. You know why? These people, they lived on promises. They lived by faith and not by sight. So, what made Jeroboam do it? And I'm going to identify at least five lessons today. Four, if you will. But before we go to those four lessons, but one of the things that we need to understand as, as, as children in the new covenant, we live by faith and not by sight. We live by promises and not by human opinions. And every promise, oh yeah, <laughs> let's, let's look at that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 17 onwards, if you will, from 17 to 21. If you can put it in the KJV, it'll be awesome. Second Corinthians, not, sorry, Simon, Second Corinthians chapter 1 verses 17 onwards. Yeah. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? You know what the word for lightness is? Fickleness. <laughs> Fickle. Undecided. And Paul says, boss, I'm decided. <laughs> the problem is many, many believers in the church of God are still not decided. They still haven't made their choices. Whose side are you on? We'll wait. And then we'll go to the winning side. Hey, I'm on this side. Not going to happen that way. Did I use lightness? Or did I use fickleness? Was I undecided? And then he says something where he qualifies that. You know what he says? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose how? According to the flesh. <laughs> you see, this man is a man of the spirit. And he says that... Uh, uh, purpose that me uh, that with me there should be yeah yeah or nay nay, but as God is true, our word toward you was not yeah or nay. We were, I mean, at least in as far as all these years that our church is concerned, I don't think that we were we were uh, unsure. We were there was clarity, at least to the best of our knowledge. We were telling you this is it, make a choice. 
right? And then he says, when the, uh, 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 yeah, yeah, verse 19, yeah. Uh, verse 19, yes, Sammy. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and by Sylvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea for all the promises of God. All the promises of God, where? In him. Now think about this. I'll tell you something. All the promises of God, you cannot, there is no promise in the Bible. Once you become a believer, is without, which is without a clause. If you want to claim the promises, you have to be where? In Christ. In Christ. There is therefore now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. Hmm. In Christ Jesus, we have grace. We, if we are not in Christ, if we are not in that habitation, like where we are protected, we are in the family, we are under the covering of Christ. There's no protection for us. There's no promises that we can claim. That's a huge condition for believers. Let me give you some examples, okay? We know these verses very well. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. I'll, I'll show you 14, okay? Just to... Let's see if the cat licks it up, okay? <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. Look what he says. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has, which was given to us in Christ. Where do we have grace? <laughs> as long as we are in Christ. Okay? And then, Romans chapter, sorry, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Um, Pastor was talking about this in one of his recent uh, teachings. Just as he chose us in him, that we should be holy and blameless. That is the reason why he says, uh, in, in, in Psalm 90, don't have to turn there. Uh, Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all our generations from everlasting to everlasting. You are our God. That's remarkable. As long as we are in Christ, another place, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. Okay. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come can separate us. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Period. No. Which is in Christ Jesus. You see, all these promises are in Christ. Maybe another place. We know these verses very well. Uh, Verses, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Hmm? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Okay. Uh, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. We know this verse is very well again. One more maybe and then we can stop. In him we have redemption through, sorry, uh, 521. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, nothing is without a condition. So as long as you're not in him, you cannot claim any of the promises of God. That is the reason why he says in in John's Gospel chapter 15, he says, unless you abide in me and my words abide in you. And And he gives us at least four things he says. He says, unless, first of all, as long as you abide in me, I will prune you. Prune has two things. God will cut, God will purge. What will he do? He will cut he will purge. That's what he says in Malachi chapter 3. He will purify the sons of Levi. 
with a like a refiner's fire and like a fuller soap and we will make them into pure silver and gold. Pure. Otherwise, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 22 will, verse 22 will happen. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 22. Look at what it says. Hmm? He, um, yeah, 122. Isaiah 122. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> Look at what he says. Your silver has become what? Dross. <laughs> Your wine is diluted with water. He's mixed. Diluted. Okay. He's chosen us in him. And as long as we are in him, he purges us. He prunes us. He disciplines us. So how do you know that you are in him? Is there cutting happening in your life? Cutting. Not haircut. Toka cut. See? Tails. We have uh, Zoom classes these days, no? All my students now they are on Zoom and they will teach us. On Zoom suddenly something will be appearing on the screen. Map. And we'll have to figure it out. What's going on, Baba? And then one of the students says, Sir, 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 this is this is what he's doing. Click on this, click on this, click on this. And it was getting out of hand. Okay, it was getting totally out of hand, then then I then you know my wife was saying, What we what do we do? Uh, these people are just going crazy. They're teaching the students. That they're sending uh, reports. Uh, what is that? Personal chats to each other on Zoom. Oh my goodness. This is what? Six years, seven year old Baba. How do we cut their tail? I said, I looked at them the next uh, uh, class during the devotion. After the devotion, I, was, I looked at all of them. I said, look at my face. Guru Mukha Sevadya Labhyate. Look at my face. All of them were looking at me. You all know how to use the computer. I know how to make the computer. Okay. So don't play games with me. From next day onwards, everything stopped. You see, that is cutting. You know, God also does. Lord of cutting. How does he cut? Lord, be it far from you. Get thee behind me, Satan. Cut. Immediate. That is pruning. Cutting. Oh, we had so many cuttings in the last six months. Didn't we? (laughs) Peter, super cuttings we had. Okay. I'm telling you it was a privilege. We were in a spaceship. We were in a conditioned high oxygen environment. Okay. Uh, we, we didn't have, at least for the first two months, boy, we were not tired. It was like indefatigable experience. Okay. Understand this. Prunings of God. Is God pruning you? Is, is he cutting? Is he purging? Is he cleansing you? That is how you know. Constantly are you being confronted by the compromise in your life? Think about those things, my dear brothers. Don't ever take these things lightly. Okay. He prunes us. And he says, let my words abide in you. And third, he says, abide in my love. How do you abide in love? Just keep forgiving one another. Simple. How unconditionally? Unconditional. Okay. It's like, as if you have, you have made a covenant with one another. It's like, you know, the soul of Jonathan, the soul of Jonathan. So the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And he loved him as his own life. 
And what he did? He took away his robe, he took away his belt, he took away his sword and he gave it to him and he says, you know what? I'm accepting as king in my life. Boy, what a tremendous love. Unconditional. Covenant. You know, those days when you're handing over the sword to somebody, you're saying, you know what? I'm making myself vulnerable to you. I trust you with my life. Because think about it, no? If I hand over the sword to somebody and bow my head like this, what does it mean? When I'm making myself vulnerable to you, loving one another. Think this is, these are important, you see. Abide in my love, abide in my word, abide in my prunings, allow me to cut. That's exactly what we were talking about. Elijah, Elijah had two places, Kerioth and Zarephath. Both were places of cutting and purging, cutting and purging, cutting and purging. Simultaneously, these two things have to happen in our lives. Are you being cut? You think about it, no? In the, in the holy place, there's a place, it's, it's what we call as a lampstand, right? In the lampstand, you know what, there's a, there's a, those things, what do we call them? Wicks, right? You know what, the, priest has to do, he has to constantly trim it, cut it, so that it will burn better. And those things are important. Prunings and cuttings of God. So that we bear more fruit for the glory of God and then by that we will know that we are his disciples indeed. So let me tell you something, all the promises of God are yes and amen as long as you are in Christ. Are you being pruned? Or are you already clean? <laughs> Proverbs 20 verse 9. Look at what it says. 20 verse 9 and 20 30. Yesterday we looked at those two verses. 29 first of all. <clears throat> Who can say I have made my heart clean and I am pure from my sin? Anybody? You are all biblical people, no? <laughs> so what do we need? 20 30. What do we need? 2030 is an easy principle. 29, if you are, if you say that you are right, I mean, it's a rhetorical question. Who can say? Nobody can say. Fine, thank you. So, what is it? Blows that hurt, cleanse away evil. As do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Both are important. Yesterday, Pastor was talking about one way of understanding this. Okay. One of the other ways of understanding this, you know, nice blows you give, that lopala that fellow, inside fellow will come out. I remember Art Cad's uh, having this um, sister from Japan who had come over to his place, no? She, she heard the message and she was so fired up and she said, I want to be a part of your fellowship. And uh, she's from Japan, you know? And you know, people from the, from the East are typically very respectful and they keep bowing and most of the time Japanese are always like this, no? Bowing, bowing, all the time bowing. So she had that culture. She comes from that background and she came to this fellowship now. Now she's living amongst all believers from different, different backgrounds and uh, who will rub you and cut you and do all kinds of things the wrong way. Fifteen days she was doing this. Sixteenth day. She threw one plate at the pastor's wife. That fellow came out. All that fellow who was hiding all these days who has been camouflaged. <laughs> okay. That fellow came out. You see, suddenly, then we know all this cultural nonsense. All this bubbling was all nonsense. Okay. Absolutely, that fellow had to come out. Why? It's a prunings of God. The prunings of God. So many things of our heart were revealed in the last three, two months. No, Sam knows so much about me and I know so much about Sam. Oh my goodness. 
I know about alarms, which alarm. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, okay. The first two, three, four days of the lockdown, I was in the, we were in the church office, and there was a siren which was ringing. Siren. I was thinking the cops were outside. It was three in the morning or four in the morning, okay. I just got up and I just opened the door, went out and checking, no cop signs, nothing, and this is increasing and increasing and increasing. And I came back and I was searching and it was the alarm. Right under the ear of the man. He was unmoved, you see. And he knows so many about so many things about me. He will tell you later on, okay. <laughs> see, we knew these are prunings of God. The alarms which alarm. I mean, remarkable. We can write a, a total, I think, uh, 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 our, our, what do we call as our uh, lockdown diaries, no? It's simple. It's a super, it was, it's a different experience altogether. I know you guys are jealous. Good for you. Come into the ministry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Job 14.4. Job 14.4. 14.4 and 15.14. Okay. This is Job's words. And one of his friend's words, who I kind of agree with. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? Answer, no one. That is the reason why he says, if any man says that he is without sin, he makes, ah, he's a liar. Who can? 15.14, can you put it in uh, in the uh, NASB if you don't mind please? 15.14 in the NASB? Yeah, what is man? Mm. I don't know if that's, it's there in NASB. But what I'm looking for, is it there? No problem. Okay, what is man? That he should be pure. Or he who is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. Actually, uh, one translation will use, will use the word. Who is a man who is continuously righteous? How many of you are continuously righteous? On an average, you are righteous, you may say. It's like your, uh, what do you say, your uh, health tracker, no? 4.4 kilometers on an average a day. And I feel good about it. Some days, negative 2. On an average, you know, how are you doing? My hands are in the fire. My feet are in water. On an average, I'm doing fine. No. Continuously, nobody can. Therefore, what should we be subjected to? Continuous what? Cleansing and purging. Continuously. That is the reason why he says, gather together as long as it is called today. As often as possible for the cleansing in your life. Another gener- another indictment, 30.12, Proverbs. Look at what he says. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 12. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, <laughs> yet is not washed from its filthiness. How are you? Good. How? On the outside. Deep down inside. Absolutely filthy. It's prunings of God. That is not, that is how you know that you are in Christ. Then you can claim promises. So, so coming back to the story of Jeroboam. Now Jeroboam as a guy who has been given these promises. And I said, every promise in the Bible is what? Yes and amen and Christ meaning there are conditions which apply. God is a father to everybody? Yes. But you know what? First Peter chapter 1 will say, if you call him what? 
father who will judge everyone according to his deeds impartially. All are his children. But will all be treated the same in heaven? I don't think so. Stars different glory. I mean, I, I, I was driving the other day to church. I was, I was thinking, man, Paul, if you see him, just imagine how Paul will be. I mean, forget about Jesus' glory. Of course, he is glory. He will be glory only. But think about Paul. He will be shining only. Many of us will possibly have to hide our faces from him. Shining. See. Every process, every promise in the Bible, they have, they have conditions which apply. Conditions are important. So how do we, what are the conditions that God gives to Jeroboam? Turn with me to, again, 1st Kings chapter 11 verse 35. Chapter 11 verse 35 onwards. This is Ahiah, he's meeting Jeroboam and this is what he says. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you. Ten tribes. I'm going to give it to you. And to his son I will give only one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself and put my name there. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart desires. And you shall be King over Israel. Then it shall be. And now comes the conditions. If you heed all that I command you. Condition number one. If you walk in my ways. Condition number two. If you do that which is right in my sight. Condition number three. If you keep my statutes and commandments. Condition number four. And if you model your life <laughs> according to my servant David. Five. See, there's a model. Now, of course, in the old covenant, the model is David. For the new covenant, our model is the son of David. You see, Goliath was called the champion. Right? Remember? He was called the champion. Right? And uh, the Philistines had a champion. And uh, the Israelites also had a champion finally in David. And he says in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author, you know the word? Champion. The champion of our faith, the word is champion. The author and the finisher of our faith. The champion of our faith. So what is, what is this three conditions he's talking to Jeroboam? He says, if you do all these things, then I will be with you. And I will build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. I will build you an enduring house. I will be with you. So we have to understand what these conditions are. See, what made, what made, uh, uh, so Jeroboam to build the altar of compromise was because he strayed away from the conditions because he didn't want he didn't want to obey the conditions that God had placed in his life so what are these conditions let us try to understand these conditions in a little detail today first condition he says if you heed to all that 
I command you. That's interesting, right? He says, he doesn't say, take heed to all my commandments. No. That he also says, keep all my commandments and my statutes. That is different. He says, take heed to all I command you. You know, what is the first thing he's asking Jeroboam? He's saying, Jeroboam, have a, a lifestyle of continuously hearing from you. Continuously. Continuously hearing from you. A lifestyle where you will have an uninterrupted voice. I mean, hearing a voice. I mean, hearing meaning voice. You hear my voice continuously. Practice a lifestyle of hearing continuously from God. As my servant David did. Let there never be a time when the voice of heaven will shut in your life. You see? Voice of heaven will shut. Now think about it. How many of you feel that God is not speaking to you? Feel meaning not feel. Know that God is not speaking to you. (laughs) You You have the sense, Lord, what is there? I'm not hearing your voice. Does it worry you? See, I'm telling you honestly, hearing the voice of God doesn't mean that you're not listening to sermons. Hearing the voice of God means God is personally intervening in your situation and speaking to you in particular situations and telling you. He's commanding you certain things. And everyone has their own commandment. He will speak if you're attentive. A lifestyle of continuous hearing from God as my servant David did. Heaven is brass. Earth is iron. No. When will this stop? Why will the voice of God stop in our lives? In Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, this is what it says. Amos chapter 11, 8 verses 11 and 12. This is what he says. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Think about that, no? If there is famine and if you hear God speak, so, like Isaac, will there be any lack? What is the ultimate famine that you haven't heard? And then he says, they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. They shall not find it. There's a famine. There's a famine of hearing God's word. It's not that there's no anointed preaching. Or there are no, not many teachers of the word of God. I'll tell you something simply. You know what? When, the, when you, when do you express, experience famine? When the spirit is lifted up. When you resist the Holy Spirit. We, yesterday we looked at that in the Q&A session. What, how do you resist the Holy Spirit? Three things you do. First thing, you have a stiff neck. What neck? Mm, stiff neck. Meaning you are, your will is bent in one direction. That's it. You are unyielding. You will never yield. And then he says, an uncircumcised heart. Third, he says, uncircumcised ears. And he says, you are what? People who resist the Holy Spirit. Three things. Stiff neck, uncircumcised heart, uncircumcised ears. Look at what it says in Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 10. We know this verse very well. But once again, Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is what? Uncircumcised. 
and they cannot give heed. <laughs> See, they cannot give heed. Take heed to what I command you. They cannot give heed simply because they have what? What years? Uncircumcised years. Unprepared years. Years which are only not for God. Not separated for God. They hear so many other things and they also think they can hear the voice of God. Now remember, I'm all ears. You use those words, right? I'm all ears meaning full attention for you only. That entire body is here. Literally. You know that? By your posture I know whether your body is an ear or not. Inclination. Now the pastor was telling these chairs are comfortable chairs. Okay. But the inclinations we can know. How do you incline? That's the reason why I said there is acute angle. <laughs> there is obtuse angle. <laughs> Inclined. Don't be what? Obtuse. Hmm. No. See, geometry can be taught even in preaching. Okay. Inclination is important. Take heed. Take things seriously. When God speaks to you, take it seriously. Don't take it lightly. Even it could be a very minute little little things. It might might seem absolutely innocuous, but that will be the defining thing in your life. Little things matter. Okay. Ezekiel chapter one verse three. I like the word how it is uh, written in the Bible. The word of the Lord came how <laughs> expressly. <laughs> I, I like that expressly to Ezekiel. I mean, it was speed post. <laughs> Okay. Courier. In those days. Now, for us, instantaneously, we can hear the voice of God. Because the Spirit is there inside of us. Expressly. You know, the word for Ezekiel, Ezekiel is very important. El is God. Chazak means strengthens. My God strengthens me. How does He strengthen me? By sending His word. What? How? Expressly to me. The Spirit. How does it say? expressly says that in the last days some will depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons having their conscience seared with hot iron. It's remarkable. Expressly. John's gospel, sorry, Luke's gospel chapter 3 verses 1 onwards. Look at how how you can have this hearing. Look at what it says in Luke's gospel chapter 1 verse 1 onwards. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah, Herod, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Ituria, the region of uh, Traconitus, and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene, while Ananus and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of the Lord came. To whom? To John. Where? In the wilderness where he shut down all the voices. Now he is able to hear the voice of God alone. Take heed. Have a con- Continual lifestyle of hearing from God. Separate yourself from people. It doesn't matter what age group you are now. Samuel heard when he was what? Five years old? Six years, I don't know. Maybe more than that. Maybe by six or seven years old, eight years old. I don't know. Because year by year his mother is to come. We don't know exactly when he heard. Maybe he was a teenager. He heard. And it says, the vision, the word of God was very rare in this. There was no widespread revelation. There's a time on absolute famine. And what did God find? God found a young man who was all yours. His name is Shmuel. What is this? Shamael. He hears. God hears. He hears. Ears were open. 
burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. My goodness, my dear brothers, what a difference it makes when you know that God has spoken to you. What a difference. That's rest. You know it. Nothing can change it, take it away from you. I know exactly what God has spoken to me. I, I've, honestly, in my life, I've, I've met very few people who have that kind of an assurance. God spoke to me. Some people are, no, I don't know. I'm not very sure. God speaking. Has God spoken to you? You see, the life of Saul is such a tragedy if you look at, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 28 and verse 4 onwards. 1 Samuel chapter 28 verse 4. Look at what he says. Now the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams, either by Urim, either by prophet. Isn't it interesting when these details are given, you have to stop. Either by dreams, no voice. Either by Urim, no voice. Either by prophets, no voice. And you will ask why? Why not by dreams? Why not by Urim? Why not by prophets? Why? Why does Holy Spirit mention these three things specifically in the life of, life of Paul? Three incidences in his life. Let me show it to, show it to you. First Samuel chapter 14 and verse 35. 35 onwards. 35 onwards. I'll show you a few verses to understand why God does not speak to him. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first time he built an altar to the Lord. And then what happens? Next verse. Now, this, then, now, now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. Let us draw near to God here. And then what did he do? He inquired of the Lord. Next verse. So Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the, into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. Who asked directly? Saul asked. And God did not answer him through what? Dream. And what does he do? Immediately. Who's a sinner here? In my midst. That's how he silences the voice of God doesn't speak to him. And what about priests? What about Urim? Who's supposed to have the Urim? The priests. Now what does he do to the entire town of priests? He kills them. He kills the entire town of priests. And what about prophets? Let me show you. First Samuel chapter 19. Verse 18 onwards. So Saul fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah. And told him all that Saul had done to him. And he, he and Samuel went and stayed at a place called Nayoth. They were all scared. And you, you know that even Samuel was scared of Saul. Now it was told Saul saying, take note David is at Nayoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when, he, when they saw that the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the spirit, of the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. Remember, this is total drama happening over here. Comedy. 
When Saul was told, he sent another messengers. What is the difference between you and that Amaziah? Elijah, oh man of God, come. If you are, if I am a man of God, let fire down, come down from me. Exactly the same thing happening over here. You see a precedence. When Saul was told, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also. And finally, he also went to Ramah. You know, message Bible says he was fed up. And he went. So he came and asked, where is what? Samuel? What does he want to do now? Kill both. Kill both. Kill the voice of the one who is interceding for you. You know how people do that in the century called 21st century? 1818, Jeremiah. They have formulas. It's called 1818 formula. Jeremiah 1818 in the NLT, if you will. NLT and the message. Both, both, both translations are fantastic. Look at what it says. Jeremiah 1818. The people said, come on, let's find a way to stop Jeremiah. We don't want to hear. We have our own priests. We have our own wise men and we have our own prophets. We don't need him to teach the law and give us advice and prophecies. Let's spread rumors about him and ignore his ways. I'm telling you, in the last so many years, I've seen these things happening. Spreading, spreading gossip about Jeremiah. Slander Jeremiah's name so that we can cut off the voice of the prophets in our ears. This is what we call biting the hand that feeds you. If you put it in the other translation, no? They said, come let's make plans against Jeremiah for the teaching of the law by the priests will not be lost. Nor will counsel from the wise, nor from the word for the law. We have so many prophets. So come let's attack him with our tongues and pay no attention to what he says. That's exactly what happens. They attack the men of God, the, the prophets of God with their tongues and discredit, try to discredit the message. You see, it happens. And what does God do? You rejected my voices? Why should I? Why should I speak to you? Urim? Priests you killed. You killed. You killed your own people. Restrained themselves from killing. And you said, okay, do it. Go ahead. Finish them off. What a murderous individual. See? You know what? This is, this is like this, no? It's like God handing him over. Is getting more and more bitter, more and more jealous. It comes to a point of no return. I mean, you see, on the other hand, you'll see, you'll see, David has a continuous, I mean, he's got a hotline literally with God. Look at what it says in, I mean, this is when Saul is pursuing him, okay? This is in 1st Samuel chapter 23. I'm showing you examples, okay? 1st Samuel chapter 23. Look at verse 1 onwards. Hmm? They, they, then they told uh, uh, David saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. Keilah means Keilah. Keilah means Keilah. Keilah ka matlab jante ho na? Stronghold, fort. Keilah means Keilah. They all borrowed it from Hebrew, by the way. And they are robbing the threshing floors. Who are robbing the threshing floors? This is Philistines robbing the threshing floors of Israel. And uh, who is supposed to protect them? Saul was supposed to protect them, but he is busy running after David. Okay. And then what happens? Therefore, David inquired of the Lord. Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. And what do you think the, the people of Keilah? Are 
you are our king you are the man we will protect you look at what the next verse says david's men said to him look we are afraid here in judah how much more then uh, if we go to kila against the armies of the philistines and david inquired of the lord once again the lord answered him said arise go down to kila for i will deliver the philistines into your hand and that's exactly what happens Verse 6, now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahilamelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an effort in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And then what happened? David knew that Saul plotted evil against him. He said to Abiathar the priest, bring the effort here. Then David said to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come as your servant has heard, O Lord God of Israel? I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Okay. Will they deliver me? Will they protect me? No, they will deliver you. So what will you do? Get angry with them? Run for your life. Simple. You see, you have continuous hearing. And this is his habit. Every time he inquires of the Lord, he has an open heaven. There's a voice which is constantly guiding him. See, take heed. Take heed. Take heed to all that I command you. Have an open heaven. In your life. Let God continuously speak to you. How do you know? How do you, how will you have God continuously speaking to you? You know how you'll have it? Simply by obeying what he tells you. <laughs> Simple things. And then you'll have the next instruction coming. Next instruction coming. Next instruction coming. Next instruction. That is the reason why it says, Take heed how you hear. Take heed what you hear. Mark 4.24 Luke 8.18 and John 7.17 will say, If anyone wills to do my will. Wills to do my will. Take heed. Second thing, let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 11 and let's read verse um, 35, 36, 38 please, 38, verse 38 of 1 Kings. Yeah. If you will take heed all command uh, that to all that I command you, and you take heed to what walk in my ways. Now, what do you mean by walking in His ways? Let me show you a way that you know Bible talks about walking in God's ways. If you turn with me to Psalm eighty-one eleven, and if you can put it in the NLT, it kind of uh, brings out that meaning very clearly. Psalm eighty-one verse eleven. <clears throat> look, look at what it says. But no, my people wouldn't listen. Israel do not want me around. So I let them follow their blind and stubborn way, living according to their own desires. Look at what it says next verse. But oh, that my people would what? Listen to me. Oh, that Israel would follow me walking in my paths. You know what was following? What is walking with God? We know walking with God is agreeing with God. The other Way, I mean, the nuance here, it'll see that following the way Jesus went, following the path of Jesus himself. Let me show you examples as to how we should be doing this in the New Testament. 
I'm going to read an excerpt from one book which uh, which really, really, you know, spoke to my heart. I love that book, and I keep mentioning that all the time in the Bible, in in many of my uh, teachings. Long obedience in a single direction. Everybody say that. Long obedience in a single. Let me let me hear a nice, loud, long obedience. Not a lifelong. <gasps> yawn. Long obedience in a single direction. Okay, look at this. Let, let's 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 all say that together. Long obedience in a single direction. All right. Let me tell you what that long obedience. This is what he says, Eugene Peterson, in his book. It is not difficult in a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Like the way it is with me, with you. As of now, okay. Millions of people in our culture make decisions. But there's a dreadful attrition rate. You know, all the HR managers know what attrition means. They don't want to stick around in your company, right? Only when the economy is down. Then you don't want them. Okay. When the economy is booming, everybody wants to go to greener pastures, right? There's a ter- same thing in, in, in Christendom. There's terrible, a, a, a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. Why? In our kind of culture, okay, when it loses, okay, in, in our, in, in, in this kind of culture, anything, even good news about God can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses novelty, it goes into the garbage heap. There is a market for a religious experience in our world. But there is little patience for patient acquisition of virtue. What is that? Patient acquisition of virtue. Oh, I'm, I like Eugene Peterson a lot, so I, I'm going to quote from his message translation. Turn with me for the, from the message translation to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, and look at the words that Eugene Peterson uses for people in the modern, uh, modern uh, day, especially people who likes to watch sports and mostly tennis and that too, Rafa. Yeah, he didn't play the US Open, by the way. So, useless open, that was not US Open. Okay. Now look at what it says in verses 3 to 5. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we are hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop what? Passionate patience in us. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue. Why? What a word that is. Keeping us alert for whatever God will do Next, what is that? Tempered steel of virtue. You know, when I hear these words, I get excited simply because I watch a lot of tennis, especially my favorite Nadal. He's got a tremendous forehand, the unplayable forehand with, I think, 3,500 RPM of top spin. 3,500 RPM. Okay, those people who ride cars, do you know what it means? 3,500 RPM. You can imagine the kind of torque he generates. Okay. Tremendous power on his forehand. But he has got a deadly backhand too. And you should see one of the commentators when he's, when he, uh, plays this backhand. It's a cross court. Okay. If you watch tennis, he's right there at the edge of the court. He's in a totally, totally, what do you say, defensive position and he's going to Play a winner. You know how he's going to do? He's going to take his backhand. He's a left-hander. Backhand, 
cross court goes at 150 miles per hour. Oh no, 100 miles per hour. Not 150 kilometers per hour, 100, 100 miles per hour backhand. You know what the commentator says? That backhand was forged in steel. You know how he got that backhand? Patient acquisition of virtue. 19 hours or I mean sorry 16 hours 15 hours workout 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 and I'm, I'll tell you why I love Rafa more than any other player and I'll, I I I don't despise Federer but Rafa comes first simply because simply I'll tell you why simply because in all his years of 19 Grand Slams he has never smashed a single racket not even a single racket he never showed his frustration. You know why? Because your uncle told him, you smash a racket, you will pay for it. Right from childhood. Patient acquisition of virtue. You will see Federer smashing a lot of rackets in his earlier days. You see right from the time he was 17 years old when he became the famous first time, first time when he won the French Open. 19 Grand Slams, you see one time he's showing frustration like that. You know why Djokovic was disqualified? He hit the empire with the ball. Empire! Look at the arrogance of these fellows. That is the reason why, why do people don't like me? Why do people don't like me? Joker, I'll tell you why. Simply because of this stupid attitude. Oh, all the achievements that still don't have as many fans as Federer and Nadal. Look at those people, how they behave on court and how you behave. With 17 grand slams, you behave like a juvenile. Is no much. Immediately was disqualified. You know that, right? He was supposed to win. I was praying, Lord, he should not win. Sorry. <laughs> I was saying, Lord, no, this fellow should not win because, come on, without Rafa, what match? Huh? So team won. So let him win. Okay. New people have to come. Understand this. Patient acquisition of virtue. I like this. Patience that forges tempered steel of virtue. That's exactly what happens when that woman touches Jesus' hem of his garment. What does it say? Virtue flowed out of him. How did that come, my dear brothers? It came overnight? How did Elisha have that kind of anointing? Patient acquisition of virtue. There were prophets and there was prophet. Okay. There is prophets, there are prophet. There are men and there is a man. The man Christ Jesus, of course. We are not exalting anybody. Right? This is what he's saying. And he says, wherever you go, I am going. Everybody knew that Elijah will be taken up. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know your master is going to be taken away today? Please keep quiet. You fellas are not interested in discipline. I am going to follow you wherever you go. Starry here, tarry here, tarry here, tarry here, tarry here. Tarry here. But this guy says, I will follow you wherever you go. You know why? Patient acquisition of virtue. We, talk, we don't talk about virtue. 
Look at what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 13 in the message, please, if you don't mind. We'll look at a lot of message translations today. It'll be fired up. Okay. You've been a good apprentice to me. Okay. This is not Donald Trump apprentice, but okay. Apprentice. You've been a good apprentice to me. A part of my teaching. My manner of life. Other translations will use, you followed my teaching. You know what he says? You became a part of my teaching. You became a part of my manner of life. You became a part of my direction. You became a part of my faith, my steadfastness, my love, my patience, troubles, suffering, suffering along with me in all the grief I had to put up with Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. And you also well know that God rescued me. Go, go, go on, go on. Anyone who wants to live all out for Christ, how many of you want to live all out for Christ? Very, very rare for yawning people to say that, right? All out for Christ. Look at what he says. If anyone wants to live all out for Christ, in is in for a lot of trouble. There's no getting around it. Unscrupulous conmen will continue to exploit the faith. They're as deceived as the people they lead astray. As long as they are out there, things can only get worse. Why do we have things going worse? Because there are unscrupulous conmen all around the world. No watch. No watch. Patient acquisition of watch. That is the reason why it says in First Peter chapter 2 verse 21 onwards. This is the kind of life you've been invited to. The kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way. So you would know that it could be done. And also know how to do it step by step. You see, follow my ways. He never did one thing wrong. Not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book. And he said, nothing back. <laughs> I liked it. They called him every name in the book, but he said, nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so that we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. Patient acquisition of worship. Walk in my way. See, these are, that is the reason why Jeroboam said, shortcut Baba, please. No, this is, no, 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 no. We will build an altar my way. <laughs> this patient acquisition of virtue is not possible with us. Who is going to go through this rigor? Patiently sit through every class, solve every assignment. You know, some of the students, I mean, some people come to me to study, right? And one of the things I want to ask them, some people I ask them, I said, do you want to know how to solve the problem or do you want to know my mind? Do you want a rank or do you want to know how I think? Do you want to know how Einstein studied or do you want to become Einstein? Ah. You know what Einstein said? Genius is 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. 99% perspiration. They are, geniuses are not born. That is a fad. That's a, that's wrong, according to me. No genius is born. It is the in, what is it? Infinite capacity for patience. Is what genius is. Infinite capacity for patience. Patiently sitting and doing and doing. And you know how 
how we have become in this generation, we want everything fast like that, like that, like instant coffee, instant everything. Filter coffee is instant now, these, these days. Filter coffee is instant. How do I know it? During lockdown. Sam used to treat us to some exquisite coffee. And one day he said, he said, he brought me filter coffee. He said, he said, pastor, filter coffee. And I gave him, I said, why? You made it, brewed it the whole night. He said, no, pastor, we have instant filter coffee. I said, wow, <laughs> instant filter coffee now. Instant filter coffee. See, patient acquisition of virtue. One step at a time. That is what we call as order. Pastor is going to speak about that now. Patiently doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Then you become, then you can become Sherlock Holmes later on. He suddenly says, no, you are from, sorry, you are a nun. He will say, or you are a, you are a, you are a, you are a nurse. And how did you say that you are a nurse? He will tell you all the intermediate steps as to how we came to the conclusion. But he practiced over a period of time. The great Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Over a period of time. One step, second step, third step, fourth step. After a while, he looks at that thing and he says, okay, that is the answer. And you know what? I watched, I think, a few, I think yesterday I was watching one episode of Sherlock Holmes. She says, Mr. Holmes, you guessed right. Madam, I don't guess. I know. I said, boy, what a statement. Mr. Holmes, you guessed right. Madam, I don't guess. I know. You see, that is what we call as patient acquisition of watch. And poor Dr. Watson, right? (laughs) Did I not do anything right? He looks at me and he says, yeah, nothing. And he goes off. See, this is what is important. Over a period of time, you train, you train, you train. It's a patient acquisition of virtue. First thing. Second thing. Third thing. Let's go to First Kings chapter 11 and verse 38. And what is it? Walk. If you take heed to what, all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight. What is that? Strive to be right in God's sight. Where? In God's sight. Strive to be right in God's sight. This is what I call as developing a hero spirit. No. Absalom, David. What is the difference? Charisma, character. What is the difference? One has got full charisma. And what is David? Not so intelligent. What he knew God? He had character. He was a hero. One is an actor. That is the hero. Let's go back to message, okay? I'm going to show you a few verses, okay? Just to look at it in a fresh way, okay? We know these verses very well. Nothing is new. Okay, it's, we're saying so many things which are, which you already know. Matthew chapter 6, let's read from verse 1 onwards in the message translation, please. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. How many, how many <laughs> performance, no? It's, it's, you make a performance out of it. It might be good theater. What is that? It will be very good theater. But God who made you won't be applauding. Kya baat hai? What a statement that is. 
That is the reason why, you know, I think somebody was pastor was telling me. He says, can you work to the audience of one? And then go on. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. What are they? Play actors. I call them treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching. Playing to the crowds. They get applause. True. But but that's all they get. That's exactly what happened to Absalom, right? Oh, from which town are you from? Okay, you're from such and such a town. What is your grief? Oh, you such and such. Oh, there is not a man with the king so that who can take the petition. Oh, I wish I was the king in Israel. And he would shower them with kisses. If people wanted to bow down, he would carry them like that and hug them and love them. What is that? Play actors. They're good for Hollywood. Play actors. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. <laughs> I see that a lot in my children. No? In, uh, suddenly when, suddenly they keep studying like this. Okay. Don't act, no? Play actors. And let's move on. Let's see some other things that he says. Three, when you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively, meaning don't become too conspicuous. I'm giving, I'm giving. And I remember that uh, move, there's a movie called uh, Mantrigar Viyankur, you know, in the Telugu movie. So this fellow is, a, he wants to become a, he wants to become a politician. So he, he calls the newspaper people and he calls a lot of uh, people from the streets, like beggars from the streets. And he takes a one rupee note like this. He says, he just gives to that guy like that and he says, take a picture nicely. Take a picture. Nicely, did it come properly? Show me. This is how he acts. I mean, we, we may not do it so conspicuously, but there is some element, no? That is the way your God who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes helps you out. Let's, let's move on. And when you come before God, don't turn out into the theatrical, uh, don't turn, turn that into a theatrical production either. All these make, people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Kya baat hai? They're all worried about box office results. God doesn't sit in a box seat. What a straightforward thing it is, no? So much of play acting not necessary. 16 to 18. Okay. Okay, let's read verse 6 and then we can go to that. 16 to 18. Let's. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. (laughs) Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. The focused will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense His grace. What a fantastic verse. Sister Elsa gave me a book by Derek Prince. As to how to become a part of God's army. Okay. I'm reading that page by page. I tore this page, okay, because I, I just wanted to read it out loudly, okay. I want to see some place. One of the chapters in, uh, in Derek Prince's book. No place for hypocrisy is the title of the chapter. This is what he says. Let me read it for you. Frankly stated, many sections of the contemporary church are full of covered sin. 
Here are some sins that Christians often seek to cover. Very telling, it convicted me. And I was reading it, I was getting convicted. First thing he says, abuse of child. Physical, emotional, sexual or a combination. And there are so many places where this is covered. Broken marriage vows. Cover it. And I'm telling you, in the six months of lockdown, we have seen some of the most unbelievable sights. Unbelievable. When they come to church, they look so good. Boy, you should see the mess. Unethical dealing with money. This is what Christians hide. This is Derek Prince. Unethical dealing with money. They haven't paid their taxes. They haven't their receipts in order. They're not open about it. They hide. They try to cover. And they play act. And then he says, addiction to pornography. And he says, I've been shocked to discover how common this is among leaders in the church. Subscriptions for Netflix has only increased, isn't it? Most horrible things. Web series have become so vile. And you pay your money to support those movies. Get off those subscriptions, please. If you have your subscription, cancel it. And even if you lose money, better to lose that money. Useless money. Fifth, he says, gluttony. Overindulgence of our physical or or sexual appetites. Overindulgence. We hide it and we cover it. That is the reason why whoever hides his sin will not prosper. That is the reason why David says, Lord, I have done evil. Where? In your sight. I don't want to play act and cover my sin. Abuse. My goodness, I'm telling you, think about this. How about unethical dealing with money? How many believers do you think are are guilty of that? You'll be surprised that you'll find believers more, I mean, sorry, unbelievers more honest in dealings with money than believers many times. Not honest. So much of money they owe to people and just conveniently forget. There's no urgency, urgency to settle accounts. <laughs> Do you think that? Go, oh, oh, no man, anything except the debt of love. Remember that verse. Now, I mean, I that spoke to my heart very so many times. Psalm 37, it says, "The wicked borrow and forget, and do not repay." I don't know how people, where I, was, where I was studying, they knew that they were going to leave Canada. They take four, five credit cards, swipe the whole credit card and leave Canada. Unethical dealings with money. Addictions. 
pornography. Shocked. These are things that you cover. Bring it out, my dear brothers. Seek counsel, seek help, open out. There's no time to play games with God. Don't try to cover sins. He who covers will not prosper. We have to forsake our sins. Daniel chapter 4 verse 27, if you can put it in the KJV, powerful verse, Daniel chapter chapter 4 verse 27, 427, what it says, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, break off thy sins by what? Righteousness. Break it off! And how do you break it off? When you bring it out to the light, it loses its power. Don't hide it. Don't hide it. Secret sins. No, it's not worth it. My dear brother, it's not worth it. Your reputation before men is not worth it. Your character is what matters to God. What you look on the outside, it is not important at all. See? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 and verses 16 to 18 finally in the message translation if you will please. And we can go to the last one before we stop. When you practice some appetite denying discipline I like that. To better concentrate on God don't make a production out of it. It might turn into a small time it might turn you into a small time celebrity but it won't make you a saint. Wow! What do you want to be a saint? Or a celebrity. Think about that, my dear brothers. What a statement. I was stunned when I looked at, looked at the statements for the first time. In fact, I was preparing for this word. You know, one of my favorite players in those, those days was Azruddin. Will you look at him? How does he look? Beautiful? Handsome? Hurry, you should see the way he walks to the crease. Like with a danda, as if he's absolutely uh, so nonchalant. And you should see his style, his batting, his technique, his class. Lakshman. Does he he look very handsome? Tendulkar. Does he look handsome? The guy who plays Tendulkar maybe in the movie looks handsome. Merikom. Does she look very beautiful? (laughs) Priyanka Chopra. (laughs) That is beauty. Celebrity. Not a saint. That's what I'm saying. Patient acquisition of virtue, my dear brothers. We don't want celebrities in the kingdom of God. We don't want saints. Saints who are like oak trees. Who cannot be moved. They stand like pillars in the kingdom of God. And you know these are the people who can support you. Because they have stood the test of time. And let's, last verse. If you go into training inwardly, look at this. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair. Brush your teeth. Wash your face. Because I, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why this is very, very uh, pertinent to me at least. Because my, my, my wife says, I smell hunger. Are you, have you been fasting? <gasps> oh my goodness, brush your teeth. Don't smell hunger. 
brush your teeth. Take mouthwash. God doesn't require attention getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. Saint or celebrity, my dear brothers and sisters. Finally, let's go back to First Kings chapter 11 and verse 38. Do walk in my ways. Do what is right in my sight. Keep my statutes and my commandments. What is that? Keep. God. Keep meaning, you know, garrison. Garrison. What has been entrusted? That's the reason a Jude will say, contend for the faith that has been once and for all delivered to the saints. Garrison. What has been entrusted? The, the, the spiritual heritage that has been passed over to you in terms of teaching. Especially. Guard it. Keep it. Garrison it. Let it not run away from your heart. That's the reason why he says, bind them around your neck. Write them on the table of your heart. Write them. Let it be closed, be joined, be one with it. Keep it. Guard it. Protect it with your life. Garrison it. Second Timothy chapter 1. So chapter 2 verses 1 onwards. Second, Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 onwards. Look at what he says. You therefore my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he says, and the things that you've been heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to what? Faithful men. Would to God that we will have faithful men found in this house. What will be, what, who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must end your hardship as a Good soldier to Christ Jesus. Hold on to it. Hold on to the deposit of the sound words that have been entrusted into your hands, he says, Paul says, Timothy. Deposit, you know what deposit? Maltab jante, no deposit, until you into a locker, if you have a locker in your home, how will you guard it? Boy! You put three, four locks, combination, etc. Think about that. Unbreakable locks. Guard it. Guard it. That is the reason why you know what Paul, in Psalm 119 he says, please turn there. Psalm 119. Let's show you. A few verses. Psalm 119. And verse uh, uh, 10 onwards. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 10 and 11. Yes. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me. Don't wander from your commands. Your word Have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you? Hide your word. Keep it. Guard it. Garrison it. Guard it with your life. And say, you know what? This is something which is going to keep me in good stead in the coming days. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Let's read that and we will... Let the word of Christ... Dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. God, talk to one another. When you speak to one another, don't speak anything which is unwholesome. Let it be for edification, for building up, 
and for reinforcing what you have already learnt. Guard. Guard the deposit that God has given into your lives. Guard those words that God has spoken to you. And finally, turn with me to, sorry, yeah, uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 38. For you, as I built for, sorry, what is that? As my servant did, as my servant did, follow godly examples and be a godly example. What did I say? Follow godly examples and be a godly example. Follow. Follow them. That is the reason why whose faith, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7. Hebrews 13 verse 7. Remember those who rule over you and have spoken the good word of God. One more, one more verse. I think it's verse 19 if I'm right. Just a minute, please. Let me just find that verse and we can stop for the day. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Um, and Boy, where is that was? Following their example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, it says, uh, obey those who have rule over you. Uh, where he says, uh, follow their example, watching the outcome of their faith. Okay. Seven. Okay, seven. Ah, yeah. You, you, oh, yeah, seven. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Follow godly examples. Okay. Follow people who can set the standard and strive to be like them. Okay. Strive to be like them. Like my servant David. So this morning, even as we wind up, come to the I just want to encourage all of us now. We've been such a privileged church, actually. Okay. God has been faithfully bringing the word to us in different, different contexts. Now in different languages. <laughs> yeah. All languages. He's been bringing it. So guard it. Use opportunities. Now this is the time. We don't know how things will turn out to be. Have the grain in your granaries like Joseph so that you can give away. One day when the famine comes. Amen. Let's all stand up and let's close. Only five minutes left. Let's pray and let's close. Father, we want to thank you this morning. We want to worship you, Father. We don't want to become like Jeroboam, Lord. What caused him to build an altar of compromise was because he was not willing to pay the price to acquire virtue patiently. You're seeking the approval of men than the approval of God. We don't want to be a people, O oh Lord. In these last days when the things are just winding down, spiraling out of control, And we know that the time is short for all of us 
soon it's not going to be the throne room of grace. It is going to be the throne room of judgment. Where you will judge even your children according to the works that they have done. According to the to the obedience that they have showed. You will test it whether it was wood, hay or stubble or gold, pre- silver or precious stones. And I pray, Father, that you would find in this congregation and even in the people all around the world who are listening, a bunch of people who will not be interested in the outward, but will say, Lord, Father, birth in me the desire to acquire virtue. Virtue. For it was a virtue that flew, that flowed out of Jesus, which healed people. And Lord, I believe and I pray and I know, O oh Father, in these last days, it will be a church, the body, the one man in Jesus Christ who have become so one in the spirit and so one in the faith, so one in the truth, out of, out of whose garments the virtue of God will flow and will bring healing to people around. May we become a church who will desire virtue, character, and not charisma. To that end, I pray that Lord, you will find, if not many, at least a few, even in this congregation, who will say, Lord, I am willing to pay the price. Birth virtue in me. That I will not build altars of compromise. But there will be altars of true sacrifice. Thank you, Father. Bless your people in your name. Strengthen us and prepare us for the days to come. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. And may the Lord so richly bless you. Amen.